welcome to Tav's Two Cents, the show for average Joe investors where we talk finance and how to achieve success. Hi, welcome to Tav's Two Cents, the show where we talk about finance, business, and achieving success. Today on the show, we have Doug B. Doug is an engineer by trade, but a DIY investor as well. He's been investing for over 30 years and has a wealth of financial knowledge. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot, Joe. Nice to be here. So I wanted to start the show just by asking you how you started investing, what kind of strategies you developed along the way, and where you're at now. Well, I'm one of those guys that started investing as soon as I got out of school and started working. Actually, uh, probably even before that, right? I'd, I'd been, been investing in musical instruments and cars and in education while I was going to school. So when I got out of school, for me, it was just real natural to start putting money away right away. So I was reading all the books, you know, back in the early 90s and, you know, starting to squirrel stuff away. And, you know, after 30 years of investing, I'm retired now. You know, time kind of gives you a bit of perspective. And, you know, what I started off doing 30 years ago was really cool. I think it was the right thing to do. And how it ended up, I don't think I could have really anticipated 30 years ago. And I think I was uh, very fortunate. The time in the market and the patience I had with a lot of stocks that I owned ended up paying off. And I think that's that's probably going to be truer for more people than not. I don't believe in the fast trading I'm sure it can work for some people. It just isn't my strategy. I prefer to buy and hold stocks. And like Warren Buffett says, my longest holding period would be forever, ideally, if I have a good stock. But, you know, it's, it's been 30 years of learning, sharing, and growing my portfolio, and kind of figuring out how I work, right? So a dividend investing for me is one of those cores of my portfolio. It's, it's worked out, and I'm going to keep on rolling with it. Dividend investing is certainly one option that people like. And it's interesting because even guys like myself, we're more or less just starting and we have a long runway ahead of us. Dividend investing is still appealing in some ways because you get, you know, you get dividends for, for your hard work and, and research. And it's interesting, something I saw the other day on Twitter was a guy put out a post. He said from 1980 to 2019, 75% of the S&P 500 returns would be lost without dividends. And obviously we're investing in compounding. And to me, that kind of stood out as a high number. And I thought that was an interesting fact. But I wanted to ask you with dividend stocks, you know, what sort of a range do you look for with stock? Because for me, it's around 4%. I kind of look at energy as a, as a good indicator. You know, oil stocks are generally four to five, six percent. But at a certain point, when they start getting higher, seven, eight, you start to get concerned that the stock price is lost enough that perhaps that dividend is too high. So I don't know if you had some perspective on that. You got a couple of different uh, things in there that I think we could touch on. You know, one of them is kind of chasing yield, right? And I think you got to be careful chasing yield. I prefer to take a lower dividend in a stock that I think is better able to prosper in the long term. You know, people make mistakes. I've made some mistakes in dividend investing. I've chased yield before, right? And when you chase yield and you get too caught up in how big the yield is, you can become blinded to something. So, you know, everyone, when they're getting into this investing world, is going to make some mistakes. Start learning from your mistakes when you get into this, okay? You're going to make them, and you just got to kind of shake the dust off and get going. There was a stock a few years ago that's following a newsletter at the time, and we had some money in the stock. And, I mean, the telltale signs were there that the business was, coming to a, a logical end. But, you know, we kept on looking at it saying, hey, you know what, we think that this is still a, a good investment. And, you know, it ended up not being one, right? So that company ended up going to zero. So when the market is rewarding a stock so greatly, you know, that is a telltale sign. You're not going to fool most of the people most of the time, okay? So, you know, for my dividend investing, yes, I have some stocks that are yielding, you know, four, five, six percent. I've got some that are yielding one percent. I've got some that don't yield anything yet because
because I'm not purely a dividend investor, right? I mean, dividends are wonderful. I agree with that number that you threw out at 72%. That might be a bit high. I was thinking more like two thirds of the stock market's returns, but whatever the number is, 50%, 75%, it's a significant amount of the market returns come from dividends. And I think as an investor, to not be paying attention to that part of the market, it can cost you. One of the things that I really love about dividend investing is you get rewarded to be patient. You know, if you're constantly buying and selling your stocks, you're really not going to capitalize on the dividends and the dividend growth over time. Even if I go into a market correction, my philosophy is even if I have a market correction, if I'm invested in good stocks, I'm staying in those stocks. I'm not selling anything in a market correction because I am getting rewarded even while I wait for the market to recover. In fact, I'm more likely to buy rather than sell anything, right? In fact, buying in some of those lows, you can get some great deals in dividends. I mean, some of the best dividend stocks we've ever seen go on sale every now and again. And typically it's around things like the 2001 bubble, the 2008 crisis, this COVID 2020 crisis we had last year, right? I mean, I picked up some really sweet deals last year in dividend stocks <laughs> that have not only increased their dividends in the past year, but some of them have doubled in some cases, right? On the capital gain side, that's not a dividend, but I'll tell you what, when your stocks double, that's a wonderful feeling, right? So, but hey, you know what? But I've made mistakes as well. You know, last year at the 2020 crisis, you know, you just don't know how it's going to go. So I sold a few of my riskier investments. When I say risky, these are still companies with good earnings, a track record, but they're just smaller and I think more prone to capital crises, right? And supply chain disruptions. So I sold some of those, you know, and I, and I actually increased some of the biggest dividend holders I have. So I did well, but I tell you what, selling some of those riskier stocks, it goes against my nature. But at the time, I was reading a, kind of a doomsday uh, news newsletter that, you know, scared me out of a couple of my stocks. And being scared out of your stocks is generally not a good idea, right? But the dividend stocks, I can't remember a time where I've really sold a good paying dividend stock, you know, through a time of a market correction. I just don't think it makes any sense. In fact, like I said, I usually just uh, keep adding to my positions. Yeah, I agree. And one of the things I actually wrote down for this is, you know, along my process, I sort of thought dividend stocks were their own thing, growth stocks were their own things, but some growth stocks end up paying out a dividend. And something that I wrote out here was Apple, you know, currently Apple's dividend is 0.59%, but you go back a year, you're at 0.76. You go back five years, you're at a 3% dividend. You go back 10 years, you're at 6.5. So, I mean, some of the growth stocks now could perhaps pay out a dividend in 10 years. And by then with the share price appreciation, you could be getting a pretty good dividend back. I love a dividend growth stock. You know, of all the dividend paying stocks I have, I pretty much, not exclusively, but largely invest in dividend paying stocks that are growing their dividends. And why do I do that, Joe? There is all kinds of reasons I do that. Okay, a company that pays dividends is typically a fairly stable company, right? I mean, stock prices change by the minute or by the hour. Dividends generally don't. You know, although you can be disappointed in dividends, like we saw last year in 2020, a few companies did stop paying their dividends, you know, reduce the dividend, stop paying the dividend, stop growing the dividend in some cases. But a a good dividend growth stock is a really wonderful thing. And I read a book a number of years ago, actually I've read a number of books, but that talked about this, but a dividend growth stock over 10, 20, 30, 40 years can do some amazing things. And if you compare it to a bond, I I read a book by Peter Lynch back in the mid nineties. It was one up on Wall Street, one of his books, and he made a compelling argument to me about why a dividend paying growth stock 
makes a lot more sense than buying a bond, you know? And the argument went something like this, you know, if you buy $10,000 worth of a bond, you know what you're going to get, right? You're going to get at the end of 10 years, say it's a 10-year bond yielding 3%. Now, I'm not sure where you're going to find a 3% yielding bond right now, but you probably have to go into the junk territories. But uh, let's say it, it yields 3%, okay, for hypothetical cases. You're going to, at the end of 10 years, you're going to get your $10,000 back and you will have accumulated $300 per year of interest payments, right? Fully taxable interest payments. And at the end of the 10 years, you're going to get your $10,000 back. With a good dividend growth stock, okay, you're going to get your $10,000 that you put into it. Let's say the dividend yield starts off at 3% and it's a growth stock. Let's say the dividend is growing by 7% per year. At the end of 10 years, your dividend is now 6% about. And as a company's earnings do well, they tend to grow their, their dividends and they pay out to the shareholders. And what happens a lot of times is, you know, the stock's capital price is also rewarded. You know, and it wouldn't be outlandish to think that that $10,000 stock is not worth fifteen dollars or $20,000. So I thought Peter Lynch's analogy was great. And the good news is, it doesn't just stop after 10 years. These dividend growth stocks, you know, I, I've had some for a long time now. You give them 20, 30, 40 years to keep going. And these things on your initial invested capital, the yield can become quite significant, as well as you, you know, sharing in all of the capital growth of the stock as well. You know, and in some cases, you know what, you're gonna be disappointed by a stock. Stocks can code to zero, as we all know. But over the long run, if you pick a, a, a diversified basket in your portfolio of stocks, you can do very, very well. I agree. I, I don't know if there's a better investment in the market than a dividend growth stock because they just reward you on both ends. For me, when I think dividends, like I said, I usually go to energy or financials. But when you think about dividend growth, what, what sectors would you look for? You know, for, for the, or... the person who's starting off, I would typically say what you're you're saying starting off in utilities and finances is a really good and safe place to start. In fact, you know, for most new investors, I'd say, you know, why would you start anywhere else? You know, those are businesses that are very dependable. They're very reliable. They have a great track record. They're not sexy. They're not all that risky. They're pretty, you know, plain Jane type of things, but they are very stable. And I think for anyone who's starting off with investing, that is a good place, a good foundation to build in any portfolio. I know there'll be people that disagree with me. My approach has always been a little bit on the conservative side. And I believe in, you know, really building, it's like the foundation of a house. Build your foundation and portfolio very structurally with some integrity. And then, you know what, later on in life, you get a little more money, you can take a few more risks, go for some more growth stocks. You want to do a little bit of trading, knock yourself out if that's your thing, right? But I think always uh, starting off with a conservative base and of course, dividend stocks fit that, the financial ones and the utility ones very, very well, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think that nowadays, is most people, what they do is, you know, whatever their number is, the first $1,000, first $10,000 that you invest, they throw into an index fund of some kind, which yep. reinvests the dividends for you, which I agree is also a good method. Keep it safe Absolutely. to build your portfolio initially. And then yep. as you progress and learn more than maybe 5%, you can trade with or invest well, in riskier stocks. Yeah. And that, that brings up a good point. You know, I mean, there is a lot of ways to invest in dividend stocks without owning stocks the individual stocks, right? I know when my kids were starting off, I would recommend an, an ETF, right? A low cost ETF. I think costs are a big part of people's returns over the long term. You know, and it doesn't seem too bad when someone says you're paying a 2%, you know, MER or 2.5% or in Canada, I mean, we've had MERs of 3%, you know, but those costs tend to eat into return. Doesn't look too bad in one year, but when you start to look at the compounding effect of those fees over 20 and 30 and 40 years, I mean, 
those 2% and 3% fees, they could count for you know a third or more of your investment returns. So you really got to be, I think, mindful of that. And the ETFs do a good job of keeping the, the cost down. When my kids were starting to get into investing, you know, they didn't start off with a lot of money. And I did recommend actually uh, starting off with an ETF. One of them was a financial ETF that's available here in Canada. I think the code was XFN. And it just invested in all the financial sectors, right? So not only the banks, but the insurance companies as well. And it was just a, a good way of getting some broad diversification for a relatively inexpensive fee until they got enough money to start buying the individual stocks. And then I, I, I think generally for most people, it's not hard to go from one of these dividend ETFs, especially this financial one, to investing in the stocks directly, right? When you take a look at the ETF, you can see that probably 80 or 90% of everything in the ETF is probably in eight or nine stocks, right? So it's pretty easy to diversify. You know, once you get a few years on, you a little more savings directly in the stocks. And, you know, I'll give you an example. You know, you could own an ETF, a relatively low cost ETF. Let's say it, it only charges you a half a percent a year. Hey, half a percent, no big deal, right? But I've got to pay a fee to buy that ETF. And then I've got this yearly fee of a half a percent. And it's, that's going to drag the returns down a little bit. I can pay $10 or no dollars nowadays to buy, let's say, $10,000 of a bank stock. I can own that stock for 30 years and not pay a dime in fees not a dime. So, you know, you can work out the math for yourself, but that half percent or 1% fee that they're charging you, it still adds up. And why not turn the odds in your favor and get rid of as many fees as you can, right? As long as you have the propensity and you enjoy doing it, right? I, I enjoy doing this stuff. That's why I do it, right? I wouldn't do it if it was a drag. And if some people don't enjoy it, then I'd say ETF or mutual fund, you know what, you're better off to just invest through those. Yeah, especially with like automatic contributions and then you can just you don't notice the money and you can live on less than you earn automatically yeah that that, um, that, that that brings up a really great topic joe that that one i mean investing is one thing right but you know how you live is another probably a, a topic for another show totally right but how you live is as i mean uh, there is no level of income you can't outspend right so <laughs> just being reasonable in your life you know kind of makes this investing thing it's a it's another side of the investing i find yeah, for sure. We can touch on that. But before we do, I want just one last thing on dividends. I want to ask you about, so something that new, was new to me was with U.S. stocks, there's a withholding tax. Yes. And this comes through in your TFSA, which I didn't yep. know. Yep. And for example, you know, you buy SPY, which gives you a dividend from American companies. I think it's 15%. You're going to get taxed on that outside of any sheltered accounts other than a TFSA, which still gets a withholding tax. So I don't know if there were any other little things that I should be aware of with dividends, especially U.S. Oh. stocks. There, there, are, there are so many things, Joe. You know, my son actually called me a few months ago and he said, Dad, they're, they're, they're withholding some tax on, on a, a stock that I own, on the dividend. And I said, well, what account is it in, right? And he, he said, of course, it's in his TFSA. And I, I, I talked to him. I said, hey, listen, you bought a good stock, right? You didn't understand exactly how that dividend was going to be taxed because it's a, a U.S. company. But he still made a good decision, right? So I think finding good investments is the primary goal here. You know, if it was me, I would tend to hold the stock in an RSP if it was a U.S. stock or even in my personal, uh, you know, non-registered accounts. Having your TFSA is not a big deal. Probably not the best place to have it, but I still say having a good stock, if you've got all your money in the TFSAs and that US stock is the best stock you think you should buy, hey, I think you go for it. Okay, buy the US stock inside your TFSA, pay the little bit of tax. You know, tax decisions and financial decisions, sometimes they're not 
compatible. I prefer to make good financial and uh, stock picks and let the taxes kind of fall where they may. But there, there are a lot of really great things about other good things about dividends that uh, we haven't touched on. A good dividend strategy, you can basically make yourself a little pension plan from that. You know, So let's say you're somebody who has a defined contribution plan at work, or maybe you don't and you're just saving up money in your RSPs. You know, dividend investing can really play into your hand to make your own little pension plan. You know, because if you if you start to pick the right stocks and some different growth stocks over the course of 20 or 30 years or 40 years, which is a typical career, you know what, you can end up creating this cycle of income that rolls in every year that can mimic a pension plan payment, right? Dividends are shockingly tax efficient. And I'm going to throw out a little statistic for you guys. You know, if your only source of income was $50,000 of dividend income in Ontario, how much tax do you think you'd pay, Joe? I'm going to guess $0. You are absolutely correct. Zero uh, to virtually zero right across our, our great country, right? So when you take a look at things like that, you know, it just gives you another incentive to look at these things. Now, of course, if you're investing in TFSAs and RSPs, and that's where all your money is, that doesn't, it isn't that important. But if you're now starting to be in the position where you, you have more money than you can invest in your RSP, let's say you have a pension plan, so you don't have a lot of RSP room, you know, you can max out your TFSA, and now you're looking for another place to put some money. If you invest that into dividend paying stocks, right, you, you do get a preferential tax treatment. And not only that, you can share that income with your partner or your spouse right? Which is another, you know, huge bonus. Let me see here. I got a few other things here that I thought I want to, to kind of touch on. So, you know, I, I wasn't sure if, if maybe your listeners wanted to, to know, you know, what dividends are. You know, di dividends are a way for a company to reward the shareholders, right? So the companies have a few ways they can do that. So, you know, if they issue their common shares and they chose choose to pay a dividend, you know, we've got the dividend stocks that we're talking about now, but there's also preferred stocks, right? Preferred dividends that can be paid. There's you know, there's loans that the company can take out. There's also debt that companies can issue, right? Bonds and so on and so forth. So the common stocks we're talking about are the dividend payers are the ones where companies have decided because they're likely stable enough, they're big enough and secure enough that they have more earnings than they can reuse in the business, right? So some companies, especially startup companies, you know, when they make earnings, hopefully they're making earnings, what they're doing is they're plowing that money right back in the company to try and grow it, right? Or pay off debts that they have or to do something good for the business so they can move forward and make greater earnings. At some point, successful companies, you know, they make it to the point where they have more earnings coming in than they know what to do with. So maybe they paid off debt or they don't have excessive debts. You know, they've issued bonds and they've got their bond payments all sorted out. They might have some more money and they say, well, you know, we can't reinvest this. We, we got more than we need. We've got all the capital program finance. You know what? We're going to reward the shareholders and return some of this money to the shareholders. So what they will do is decide to pay a quarterly dividend. Some pay monthly dividends and some pay special dividends. You know, it, it's a nice surprise when one of your stocks, all of a sudden a bunch of money shows up in your account and you, you, you look into it, you go, what is a special dividend? Where did it come from? What what happened? You know, it could happen in all kinds of reasons. Sometimes they split off a company, you end up with another stock that you didn't even know existed before. Sometimes you just end up with a bunch of cash in your account, but it's a good problem to have. Let's see here. What, what else we've got? So we talked about the tax efficiency of dividends. You know, it's, it's, it's really, really great. You know, there's all kinds of dates associated 
associated with dividend payments, right? So you've got trade dates, settlement dates, you know, X dividend dates. You know, that's nice to know about me. I don't really worry about that too much. Some people try to game the system by buying a dividend stock at a certain time, and maybe they can buy it before they pay the dividend and just get in before the dividend X date, you know, and <laughs> I don't do any of that stuff. Some people uh, try to outsmart the system. I, I say, hey, if you think you can outsmart the system, go for it, you know, <laughs> but uh, I think you're likely to end up with the disappointment. Something we talked about earlier is growing dividends. They can really improve your gains, you know, and as dividends grow, it can lead to increased share prices. That's because dividend investors will reward the shareholders of those stocks with ever increasing dividend payments, right? So over, like I said, 10, 20, 30, 40 years, you know, the compound effect of this growth over that time, and it's not someone's brilliance, it's not anything except a little bit of patience and some time, and a good dividend growth stock can really turn out to be one of the best stories that was ever written in your portfolio, and I, I can attest to that on a number of occasions. But, you know, people can invest in dividend stocks or dividend ETFs or mutual funds. You can do it through a TFSA. You can do it through your RSP. You can do it through your non-registered accounts, right? So anywhere you can make any investment, you can go and buy a good dividend-paying stock or mutual fund or ETF. And, you know, one of the best things you could probably do is to just start it now, watch out for your costs, keep it simple. You know, sometimes you get into some complicated things or duplicate stocks and multiple accounts. Try to keep your life simple is some good advice I have for you. And invest for the long term. When you're looking for dividend stocks, I really think what you're trying to look for is you're trying to look for that stock that you want to own for many, many years. You know, it's typically not something that you're just, you're looking at owning something for six months or a year. In my opinion, I've seen the magic of compounding over many years and I hope to see it for another 30 years. Joe, okay. <laughs> and, uh, you know, time is your friend when it comes to different growth stocks. So just let time and have a little bit of patience work for you. One other thing I think we should touch on is there is a, a way of investing in these dividend stocks that uh, is called dividend reinvestment plans. Okay, short for DRIPS is what we call them, right? And it's, it's a really, really, I think, efficient way of keeping all your capital working for you. So there are a number of companies where you can register directly with the company. So after you own a few shares, you can go and register directly with the company. And what you can do is get into an arrangement with them where every dividend that they pay out, what the company will do automatically is reinvest that dividend payment and equal shares back into the business for you at zero zero cost. Okay. And in fact, some of these companies actually offer you a discount to buying the stock because you're doing it directly through them. You know, I've only done it once in my career because I prefer to take my dividends and then choose where I'm going to reinvest them or use them. You know, if you're doing this drip stuff, in non-taxable accounts, you've got to keep track of your adjusted cost basis of your stock as every new stock purchases you make affects your adjusted cost basis, right? So that's just something to keep note of, but it's a great way for especially people who are in those accumulation years. Once you found those good stocks you want to keep for 10, 20 years, just keep the money, all the dividends that come from that stock, just plow it right back in. It's a great growth strategy. And you know, sometimes with these dividends, you're collecting 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 30 bucks, 90 bucks, 100 bucks. And over time, that money plowed back into those stocks can really make a significant difference. And that money, once you reinvest it, it's working for you. Instead of having, you know, maybe a hundred, two hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars sitting in dividends that you haven't reinvested, this kind of does it on autopilot for you, right? I've actually enrolled in a drip with Ryocan. They yeah. are, a, you know, a big yep. real estate company in Canada. Yeah. And I'd love to hear your perspective on REITs and what you think about them as a way to get some exposure to real estate. Because a lot of people like myself, yeah. we don't have the capital 
capital to go and throw a down payment, especially with houses the way they are now and get that exposure through direct real estate. So REITs are, I think, a good way of doing that for some of the people just starting out. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. REITs aren't my specialty. You know, I've only owned a few of them over the years. So I'm likely going to pass on that. I have a son who's in a bit of real estate by actually buying houses and renting them out. So, I mean, I understand the argument of owning a REIT. It's a low PETA factor, right? Pain in the butts. And, uh, you know, get some good exposure to some real estate holdings, which I don't think is a bad thing. And it's probably done fairly well for you, I suspect, Joe, right? I bought one stock. It's uh, Brookfield Asset Management. I bought it years ago, made some money and, you know, kind of got away from it for a few years. But I got back into it maybe a year or two ago and it's about doubled now. But, you know, they have a lot of, of a real estate exposure and, you know, it's done very, very well. And I suspect they're going to continue to do very, very well. And I may even uh, increase my exposure to that. It's been, it's been a good story. It is, you know, investing yeah. is... Uh, Perfect. It's a lot of fun, right? And I think you've got the bug too. And there's so many resources out there, you know, there's lots of books, lots of stuff online. And, you know, if you enjoy it, I think that's the best way to kind of get uh, get going on this. Great. Well, thanks yeah. a lot. Appreciate hey, it. Thanks a lot, Joe. Bye-bye. Joe is not a financial advisor and may have interest in the stocks discussed on the show. So do not take any information included within this podcast as a recommendation or formal advice. Thank you. Thank you.